Hello, hello, my sweet friends, and welcome back to another episode of Thanks, Morris. My name is Marie, the SLP, and today we are talking all about mindfulness. Now, if you know me, you know that I love a good gratitude list, and I'm always looking for new ways to help us stay inspired to keep our minds, our hearts, our souls happy and healthy. And so I'm super excited because I have the amazing privilege to get to interview my friend, Rachel Musial, who is a speech-language pathologist out of Denver, Colorado. Now, Rachel not only practices mindfulness every day and is such a great example for ways that we can incorporate mindfulness into our own daily lives, but she also takes these things and works with them in her work as a speech-language pathologist with her clients. And so I'm super inspired by her. I hope that you all can take away some different strategies and skill sets to use maybe in your own life or the work that you do to incorporate mindfulness and to help create a foundation and connections with others. One more thing I want you to note, you are getting a chance to listen to a conversation with the two Miss M's. Rachel and I both go by Miss M with our clients and our students. And so I just think that's a fun tidbit. And I hope that you enjoy this conversation and can take away some really valuable things. Okay, so we're here with Rachel, also known as At Speech with Rach, uh, which is how I first got to know you um, mm -hmm. via the Insta Universe. And I'm just going to let you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Um, yeah. And, and what it is you do in the speech pathology field. Yeah, totally. So uh, I'm currently located in Denver, Colorado, which I am originally a Chicago-based girl. So the cold weather is my friend, I guess. But um, I've only been here for about 10 months. And before this, I was did everything in Illinois. My undergrad was at the University of Illinois and my graduate program was at Northern Illinois University. So I was really trapped in that bubble and I knew very closely by the end of grad school that I was very ready to try something new. And so kind of on a whim, I took my CF in Los Angeles and I took it with a contract company. And it was a challenging year. I had 85 kids within three schools, like most CFs do, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and through that time, I learned so much about myself. And one of the big things I learned was that I didn't like Los Angeles, at least for me. <laughs> yeah. And so kind of on a whim, I quit my job, applied for a job in Denver, and moved there three days later. And I started in the school system for a little bit of stability and again, just for whatever reason, I found myself going back to those more personalized sessions, my one-on-ones, my really, really intense kiddos, and I found my way back into home health. And now I've been in home health since October, and I've been doing complete telemedicine visits since like March 13th. Yeah. And it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. Um, had you done telehealth, any kind of telehealth before this? No, I had okay. done health before, yeah. but never telehealth. So yeah. I just remember one day I was seeing my kids, and the next day I get an email from my boss saying, today all your sessions are in telehealth. And I was like, all right, we're going to do this. Right. It's going to be a challenge, but here we go. So Yeah, and I think we all, we all can relate to that one. <laughs> yes, we, I think the number one word I've learned as an SOP is to be adaptable. Mm -hmm. It's like the minute we 
we kind of cling on to a treatment approach or a population or this or that. Something is sorted to the mix. And it's like, all right, I gotta be adaptable here. I gotta change a little bit. But it's a great quality to have for a lot of us. Oh yeah. It's it's important to have. Um and I think I've talked about it now on this podcast and all over Instagram <laughs> and on my blog, like flexibility, adaptability, like don't say no to change because it doesn't matter if you do. <laughs> like, yes, it'll still come either way. Yeah. Um, and now you, and one of the things that I, I think we've connected over, but just that, like, for me, um, when I, like what brings me back to wanting to talk to you more and Mm. go to your Instagram page and be inspired by you more is because you talk a lot about incorporating mindfulness into therapy. Um, and I kind of wanted to just touch on that or really talk about that and get into that because, you, I mean, I'm all over the place with like, yes, you got to be grateful. Yes, we got to take care mm-hmm. of ourselves. And um, then I met you and I'm like, oh my gosh, you incorporate it into your therapy? Like, that's fantastic, you know? Um, so where did that come from? Yeah, so when I did my clinical fellowship in Los Angeles, I was in a low socioeconomic um, area. And there were so many challenges that my students were facing that I had not seen before. You know, I hate to say, I grew up in a privileged area in Chicago. I didn't see a lot of these things. And when I got to this population, I was experiencing homelessness and food insecurity and drug abuse. And I started to realize that a lot of my sessions were shying away from practicing my R's and we were working on consoling our students and making sure Mm -hmm. they felt safe. And it really all started when one day a sixth grade boy who I did not work with came to me just overwhelmed with the bullying he was experiencing at school. And I was like, have you ever tried journaling? And he was like, what? Like, what, Miss M? Like, we don't, I don't know what you mean. And I was like, listen, I journal every day. And this is the kind of little prompt that I do. So I created this like journal kind of prompt that all the kids started doing. And basically incorporating gratitude, what we did was every day, or if they wanted to write in it, it was never, you know, pressure. When I, that's what I always would say to the kids and myself. I never put pressure on myself to do those things. Oh, yeah, no. Like we do, like, you know, those ones are like, write one line a day. And it's like, the minute that I feel like I have to do it, it, it pushes me away. Mm-hmm. So I think I gave the kids the choice. I was like, this is a tool or a strategy. And I said, regardless of when you're upset, you're always going to start and write down three things you're grateful for. And I was like, why? And they kind of like looked at me puzzled. And I was like, because it puts everything else into perspective. Because what you're going to do right after you write those three things you're grateful for is you're going to write your problem or your issue. And then you're going to say what you learned from it. And it's all going to come together. And so I would work through that with the kids. And they would come to me be like, look at my journal entry. Like, I realized that this was a problem. And I was like, wow this is like what the kids are really sticking to. Like, yes, the THs, the R's, that's all great, but this is the thing that they're excited about. And I just started to find it kind of coming into all of my practices. That's so awesome. I love that. And it's funny because I remember around like Thanksgiving time, I was trying to think of ways to incorporate gratitude, but I were, I mean, I work with preschoolers and that's a really obviously hard concept. It's absolutely hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, if you've got the kiddos that have a harder time with those abstract concepts, you're like, how am I going to teach right. them 
and you know, so I do it in a way like where it's all about kindness and you know why we're kind and kind of like understanding those emotions and that whole theory of mind. But I like the idea of like even if it's a preschooler starting a session or something with three things. Yeah. Okay. What or like what three good things happened on the playground? Yeah. Um, just, just, and you do you kind of get that like positive energy going? I'm sure. Um, oh yeah. yeah. And I. Well, kind of like you said, I, what I started to do was when I worked in the schools and I attached a little picture so you could see it in our Google Doc. Yeah, I know. I love it. Huge window outside. And I was like, you know what? We got to do something with these. So I had the school and they paid for like window markers for me and I'd write different prompts and I would hang the markers so any kids walking by could fill them out. So mm -hmm. it would be today I'm grateful for. And my kindies would draw pictures of like football players. My older kids would write things. And it was so cool to walk by and see it. And like, I was on there at times and other teachers and yeah. they would put, it was just such a cool thing and it was visible and all the kids passed it and we were all a part of it, regardless of if you were in speech or yeah. not. And that was the most important thing to me is connecting the community of kids, not just that one group. Exactly. I mean, and I actually... Um, have another episode with some of the teachers I work with because I work in an inclusive setting and we I talk. Oh yeah. It's amazing. And we talk all about like, how can we, you know, we have this idea for this next school year now, now after we recorded our podcast about, you know, bringing in the kids that aren't in speech and letting them see the speech room and, you know, letting them know I'm the speech teacher and I come and I see all of you sometimes just to say hi or whatever it is um, or teach a language lesson. But, um, I like that idea of like having yeah. it accessible and even like I have elementary students at my school too. So having it accessible oh. to everybody, I think is a great idea. I know. And I do. I miss that about the schools. The teachers would always introduce me and say, this is Miss Rachel. She has the best job in the school because she gets to work with all the kids. Yeah. I was like, yeah, you're right. You know? So I like to do things where I can connect other kids. Mm -hmm. And I also started using, which I'm sure you probably heard of the growth mindset. Curriculum. Oh yeah, and that was just a big game changer. We had it displayed in our room, and we worked on even with like my as probably my youngest was my first graders. We worked on setting goals. So yeah. we would write, "Can do what I want to do and how I'm going to get there." I love that. And some of their goals were like, "I want to be Batman," and I was like, "How are you going to get there?" And they're like, "I'm going to fly." And yeah. I said. Great, because for me, you know, the I just wanted them to understand if you have a desire, you can achieve it. Yeah, oh yeah. For that. Yeah, no, the growth mindset. My district is very heavy on that. That's that's something that, and I think a lot of the school districts in California typically have embraced yeah. that, or they're you know they teach that um, in a lot of professional development. But I remember my my CF years when I first learned about it. And I kind of was like, oh, I feel like this is how I was kind of trained as a clinician, um, mm -hmm. you know, just with like the, the, just, yes. the yes, the positive reinforcement mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. yeah, and making sure like you had, if you worked with a child that said, I can't, you kind of twist that. And I actually just popped my podcast yes. that came out today is all about that. Um, awesome. But I didn't call it growth mindset because um, but I should have, <laughs> I just, didn't, I didn't think of it that way, but that's really, I mean, that's, that's what it is. I love it. One of my favorite things to tell my students is that, uh, I like the way their brain is working <laughs> when they're trying. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I love it. 
Um, so in home health now, since you've switched over, how have you carried over those same things into your sessions? Yeah. So, oh, that's tricky. So, so with my population that I'm working with in the home health, my technically I can have kiddos birth to 18. I would say the majority of my kiddos right now are between like two and six, but then I've got some like eight, nine, 13, 16. So it ranges. So for me, the way that I kind of like to bring mindfulness in is with my really, really, really littles, we talk a lot about strategies. So I work on like zones and feelings and things like that, even with my small ones. And I remember one of my favorite stories was I taught a three-year-old how to belly breathe. And a belly breathing is just putting your hands on your tummy, taking a three-second inhalation in and doubling your exhalation out. So six seconds out audibly through your mouth. Mm-hmm. And it basically calms down your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight response, and allows you to be more present. And I remember I was teaching it to my preschoolers. And one day, this little boy was so mad. And I looked at him. I said, we're going to do our breathing. And we looked at each other. And we took our breaths. And he said, I'm good. And I was like, this can apply. Like, this is something that can work for everyone. So I teach my really littles, like, things that they can do during, like, breakdowns and frustration. Because that's where I think they need a lot of support. And they don't have the for it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I love that with my littles. Yeah. No, that's I, – I, I did do – used to do belly breathing, but I only did it. I shouldn't – I should do it with everyone, but I like um, doing it with my fluency kiddos yes. before our sessions or at the beginning of our sessions. Mm-hmm. That was our – that was the way we warmed up because some kids – and sometimes they wanted to sing too, but usually I'll do like sing, yeah. then work, then play or whatever. Um, but – the belly breathing was something I did do with fluency, which was really helpful just to calm the room. So helpful. And with my other kiddos too, when I was in the schools, one of my teachers had this thing called like these mindful kid activity. It was this deck. So we called it like a mindful minute. And whenever we felt like the room was stressed out or, you know, the energy wasn't right, the student could say, you know, could we take a mindful minute? And so I offer that to my kids now. And if they're stressed, they can say, mindful minute and we'll do things like grounding, you know, belly breathing. We'll work on all different exercises together. And then we'll usually go to our zones. We'll check in and then we'll get back to our session because I just, I really think that kids until they're accessing their mental health, they're not going to be retaining things in our sessions. They're not going to want to be there. You know, speech is work. I understand that. Mm -hmm. But it also should feel like it's an empowering experience for them. And I think sometimes we're so push, 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 do, 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 that we never stop to be like, hey, yo, mom, how are you feeling? Or kid, how are you feeling? And we just go to those goals that we have to meet, those objectives we have to get. And we move away from being in that present moment, which is mindfulness. I mean, the whole definition of being mindful is bringing your awareness to the present moment. And so many times we're in sessions thinking about other things. So I really try to bring it in with my parents and my, and my kiddos. Yeah. Oh, I just love that because I think it's such a good reminder for, you know, kind of even, even if you want to think of it in like a technical way, not that I want to get uh, technical, but when we talk about like, you know, I remember like the buzzword in grad school was zone of proximal development. Oh so my how, God. <laughs> right? 
but if you stupid start in my head right I know I oh no I know (laughs) I know it (laughs) but I mean if like if that's what you know that's the language you're speaking right now and you listen if like how can you be in your zone if you don't have uh the right mindset and yeah so gosh I really love that and I like um I just love how passionate you are about it because it's so inspiring. And I'm like, I'm so ready to learn right now from you, Rachel. It helped me so much as a person for my own personal journey. Mm-hmm. That, like, when I that I'm like, it's good. It has to be helpful for other people too, you know? Oh yeah. 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 And, and who better than to work on it with than the people we're with every day, which for most of us are our clients or our students. Mm-hmm. Um, and even our, you know, teams at work and whatnot. But you mentioned right. parents. I want to go back to what you, how do you work on this with parents? Because especially with, I'm sure now doing home health, you're with the families a lot mm-hmm. and that they're kind of your team. But then with telehealth, like I, from yeah. my experience with it, I'm like the parents are always there and I'm kind of half the session goes to talking to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With my parents too. I mean, I've done a lot of mental health check-ins with parents I think you and I might have talked about this in our live a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. but if I can tell that a parent is not doing well too, I think we give them permission to be and use that space to also facilitate their own communication. Like I had a mom where we logged on and right away we knew something was up, OT and I, and mom just shared that two of her friends had passed away from coronavirus and oh. she had five, like five minutes before the session. So of course we offer, you know, do we need to take a break? She's like, you know, I just want to do this for, and I said, mom, we also got to do this for you because if you're not accessing your mental health, you can't help kiddo. And so none of us will be helpful. So I was like, let's talk through this. So we just spent the session talking about things we were grateful for, um, growth that we've seen through ourselves through coronavirus. And I kind of started to do that with a lot of my parents because in home health, there's been sessions where kiddo's asleep and mom answers the phone and she's like, ah, I don't want to wake them. Do you want to reschedule? And I say no, because I love having those sessions to do with tons of parent education, both like to mom and about kiddo as well. I think when we check in and we have those times, that's when those stories come out. That's when I start getting those texts of little accomplishments on the house. And I really see our relationship start to build because mom and dad know I'm not in it just for the kid, but we're like a unit, you know, we're a team. And it's just so cool when I get those like texts and things, it just makes me like want to cry because I'm like, ah, they get it. It's not just about their kiddo. It's about all of us and all of us facilitating this communication and connection. Yeah. uh, That's, it's so true. And I love that you won't cancel a session if the kiddo's asleep. No, I love (laughs) Like we can build for that. It actually there's actual separate billing codes in certain um, Medicare, different things that you can bill like totally for that. But they, we really encourage that because like I keep saying to so many families, one time a week with me for 30 minutes. Okay. But 30 minutes coaching mom and then she is applying it every single day. We're going to see progress so much faster. Yeah, no parent. Um, parent empowerment is one of the things like as a, you know, cause I, I do this thing for myself. Cause I'm like, well, how do I expect my kids or my kiddos to meet goals? If I don't have goals that I'm trying to achieve myself and, and mm-hmm. um, 
you know, I'm like, sometimes they're like, last year it was, I want to, I want to learn to love articulation and speech sound production therapy. Cause I, it was not my thing. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm big on language. I'm big on social, but that, that speech sound piece is a little bit more tricky for me. Um, but I did, I did learn to really enjoy working with my praxic kiddos. Like it's challenging. Population. Yeah. But there was, I, I got there, like I hit that and I was like, okay, awesome. Like, you know, I feel a bit more competent and I I'm up to the challenge, I guess a little bit more. It's not as scary. Um, mm-hmm. but one of my other goals is to, is just to have parents feel empowered and it's maybe a little mm-hmm. bit more difficult working in the schools, but I'm very fortunate that I work in the preschool setting where we're building those foundational relationships with the parents on an IEP team. Yeah. And so I love hearing kind of your approaches. Cause I'm like, this can be useful for whether you're in the schools, whether you're working with families, you know, um, in, uh, of somebody that's maybe an inpatient rehab anywhere. Mm-hmm. Oh it's, yeah. It's so important. Well, since I couldn't be in the homes, you know, we would have to come up with a lot of like parent interviews that we would either send home or mostly try to do over the phone. Mm-hmm. And I, found, I think when I started to do those, I was like, Oh my God, I'm seeing all the little missing pieces fill in of the things I don't know about the kiddos from mom. Like, thank God I'm talking to this person, this member of the team. Because they're filling in these gaps of things that maybe I don't see at school. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, I'm just checking my notes because I'm being OCD now about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're good for you for taking notes. I try to fill a little bit because my brain too, <laughs> I'll start telling a story and it's like, squirrels. That's, so. No, that's how I am. And that's why it's so <laughs> And now I am totally going to go off on a scroll, but I have the, a podcast with my boyfriend and he gets uh-huh. on me all the time when we're recording. And he's like, okay, we weren't talking about that though. <laughs> like, I know. He's like, did you hear what I just said? I was like, no, I'm thinking about something else right now. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, I just think it's how our brains might be wired. I don't know, but. I think it's brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so you, um, I know that you talked about having, um, your own, like your own reasoning for starting your gratitude practices. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just, you know, you go as, as, into as much detail as you feel <laughs> comfortable doing with why that's so important to you. Um, and like what initially, you know, made you kind of click and think, okay, I'm going to bring that into the schools and work with my students. Yeah, with totally. Um, I mean, growing up, my mom, my family has always been very spiritual. Um, my mom experienced a lot of trauma as a kid. And so I think she just always raised us to be grateful. Aww. And we, I grew up in a pretty tight family unit. And when I was in like, mm, end of grad, sorry, grade school, beginning of middle school, I found out that my father was a severe alcoholic. And after that, it was just kind of like tumbleweed of things. So there was bankruptcy, abuse, divorce, food insecurity, homelessness. And I felt like my world was like crashing in on me. And I was so depressed. I was, did not want to get out of bed. Um, when I was in college, I was like, I was 35 pounds heavier than I am right now. I had so many different eating disorders. My life just felt like I couldn't control it. And I was like, gosh, I feel like even when I'm this and this, these things will happen. And after each thing, 
an event would happen, I looked back and said, wait, I got through that. Okay, hold on. Wait, I got through that. And I was like, it really sucked in the moment, but I got through all that. And then every time something new would happen, I'd be like, wait, I've learned from this mistake before or this experience. And I started to kind of feel more powerful and realize the positivity in all situations. There's always something there. And I kind of started to see a shift in myself. And I think what really shifted me to using it a lot in schools was my graduate teacher at Northern Illinois saw some of my struggles when I was in grad school. I mean, I had a really hard time. I was, I think I've shared this before, I was almost, I was almost kicked out um, because I was balancing going home and waitressing and helping my family yeah. while working school. And, you know, it was a lot of things. And my grad professor kind of saw this interest in me and spirituality and mindfulness. So she was like, you know, I want to do research on this. So she held a course for all of the students, the SLP students on mindfulness. And it was this four week course. We practiced mindful eating, mindful breathing. There was all these journaling exercises. And we actually submitted it to Isha and presented there. And we did a study on what's the qualitative impacts of mindfulness on graduate students. And we found that it affects their communication with themselves, with their students, in the moment, their stress during and after. And it was just the feedback that we were seeing as clinicians was amazing. And I was like, I need to do something with this, with this information. And so when I started to go to LA and I started to see those same issues in my students that I had struggled with as an adolescent, I was like, boom, I got to introduce this to them because I wish someone would have introduced this to me at that time in my life. Because yeah. I think I would have been a powerful person and maybe not have let myself get to those dark places because I saw the light and the gratitude in so many things. So I, I, you know, I'm really, I'm grateful for all those experiences. And I, I truly am a believer that everything happens for a reason mm -hmm. and you just have to what you're going to learn from it. The, yep. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I, yeah. Us and we have to say, okay, what am I going to do now? Yeah, no. I mean, one of the biggest philosophies I've come out of, you know, my own struggles and hard times and stuff with, um, and thanks to Mark, my boyfriend for kind of, teaching it to me is that everything that happens to me is the best possible thing that's going to happen to me. Um, right. And it's the same thing. Like everything, I love how you put it. Everything happens for a reason, but what are you going to do with it? Like, how are right. you, because you can't, you know, I think everybody has whatever, whether it's the same situations or different, we all have had certain cards that were dealt and challenges yes. that we have to face. Um, and you know, kudos to you for just having that awareness, that self-awareness and kind of being able to be reflective and see like, okay, wait, I, I got through something. I could get through something else because that's so big. And it's so awesome yeah. that, you know, now look at you and like, you're here sharing this with us and, um, totally. and, as and stuff. I mean, that was a hard lesson because we're very hard on ourselves during oh, yeah. that time. Oh yeah. But I think what I would do with mistakes and be like, oh, but then after I'm like, that was supposed to happen, you know, like, we, you know, we can't control, like you said, what life happens to us. The only thing we can control is our reaction to it. And so I started realizing, wait a second, if I keep reacting negatively, I am bringing that into my life. So I could either be negative or I could kind of suck it up and make this a learning experience because the only person it's affecting is me. So yeah. why would I bring negativity on myself, you know? 
that has taken a long time to come to. And when I say that, I mean like that was a few months ago of discovery sure. too. But sure. I think we're, I mean, I think gratitude and mindfulness is a consistent journey. You know, it's always yeah. going to be. Yeah. And it's, it's so important to keep in mind too. I think that we're going to fall short. You know, I yeah. do. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I try to be happy and positive and, you know, whatnot, whatever, but I fall short and yeah. I, I just, it's, and this will go into my next little point here, but it's so important to kind of keep certain practices that are good for your soul and good um, for you to fall on when you need them. So like, and I'm a lot like you where I have journaling practices yeah. like for myself and gratitude listing that I do every day and all kinds of stuff. Um, and then shout out to just finding a really solid community on social media. Oh my gosh. Seriously. Yeah. I'm below. It's yeah. I, uh, it's so amazing. I think side note, I did a, a quick, um, grad school podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. and one of the things somebody talked about when I asked for like what people wanted me to talk about on there, she was saying that she recommends that grad students find like find our community on social media. And I just thought, yes, like it's yeah. awesome. Because I would have felt so much more empowered if I had oh, people to yeah. like, because my roommate was a producer in Los Angeles. I would come okay. home and be like, I can't believe this apraxic. And she's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know? <laughs> I was like, I just wish I had a speechy because you know, in schools, you're the only one. So there's nobody I could really vent to. Yeah. And I think if I would have found this community, I would have felt a lot more empowered. Oh yeah. No, it's, oh, yeah. it's an awesome thing. Um, and then kind of now see, I go off on tangents, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, cause then I'm thinking, okay, so you're, you've got, I mean, even though it's a few months ago, you learned this, you've, you've got a good system for yourself and yeah. bringing it into therapy. I think too, there's, you definitely have a level of confidence with these practices to feel like, yeah, I can share this with my students. And, and even mm. if you don't, I feel like it's okay. Like just do it um, kind of thing. But would like, how would you recommend maybe that um, and you did, you already gave some really good strategies, but you know, for other SLPs that are working with any client age or um, population, how would you, mm -hmm. like, what would be the first step if there's one thing they take away to start implementing mindfulness into their sessions? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing that I actually do, which I didn't share yet before each session is before each session starts, I write a word down, which is like my focus. Mm. Like it's been slow because I talk kind of fast, but it's like a little like affirmation or moment for me where I go, okay, what are we going to focus on? Is it connection in the session? Is it, am I working on this for me? And I kind of almost set like a goal for myself in the session because I find that I'm a lot more present when I do because I'm focused on that moment versus like you said, those progress reports I have to do or this, that, and our brains can go there a lot. So I oh, think yeah. that first really set an intention for my session for both my student and for myself. Um, and another thing that I do with a lot of students when I'm seeing them feeling overwhelmed is um, the practice of groundedness. And the way that I like to practice being grounded is like the three by three technique is what I call it. So you name three things you see, three things you hear, and three things you feel. I also love this activity because it's great working on this language abilities with some kids because gonna... their goals 
be like, I see dog. Exactly. So, So I love it because when we do that, it kind of takes your brain away from all of those emotional thoughts. You're focused on the concrete of what's in front of you. And then we're kind of back together and we're like, okay, now we're refocused again. So I love using grounding with my kiddos and with myself when I'm feeling overwhelmed. Um, and I too just, I also think being honest about your own feelings during sessions. Um, I have shared many times with my kids that I'm in the yellow session today. I'm feeling all over the place or I'm in the yellow zone. You know, I tell them those things because I want them to see that there's no bad and good, that we all go through these changes and we just have to decide okay, if I'm in the blue zone, what are my strategies or my tools to get to the green zone? And that's where I think a lot of those mindfulness practices really come into place. And that's where I see my kiddos really flourish when they can use those as a strategy to self-regulate themselves. It's just, it's so cool to see. That's perfect. Yeah. I'm going to do it once I get back at work. I'm going to have to work. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, very cool. And do you notice like any, is there anything outstanding or even like small little celebration moments that you have when you're doing this and you see like other progress towards the, maybe their speech goals? Um, totally. Um, I mean, like my one that comes to mind is like one of my first kiddos I started in home health. He was always screaming when he was excited or upset. And one of mom's main goals was putting language to how he's feeling. So now, even though he yells at a hundred times a session, I have him say, I feel frustrated. And it feels so much better than him screaming and me not knowing what the emotion is or what we can do. So it's when he says, I feel frustrated, I say, oh, okay, let's stop. So when we feel frustrated, what can we do? What are strategies we can do to make ourselves feel happy or to do this? And we, he goes, oh, we have our ABC song. We have this and that. And it's like a moment for us to reconnect and to stop. And I think because we do it every single session, we check in at the beginning and talk about feelings. And I think because we start with that, it gives kiddos maybe permission to feel comfortable when they need to say, hey, I'm feeling overwhelmed or hey, I need a break. Because I tell them it's always okay. The biggest thing for me is that they're using their words to ask for a desire, to have an intention that his intention is a break. It's going to be a reasonable one, but we're going to use verbiage to get there. So I think it's just allowed me to kind of slow down with a lot of my kids. And for them, it's brought a big emotional awareness into it. Yeah. Which is, I mean, for shout out um, to you and to all the other preschool SLPs that are working on emotions (laughs) because you know, between what, like, I mean, really, all the early ages, but I noticed it when, with working with three to five-year-olds, like that's the age where they're learning about these emotions and yeah. what it means to be sad. It, it's, we don't just cry when we're sad, you know, and things yeah. like that. And it's okay to be sad. And mm-hmm. here's what you do when you're sad. I agree. And I think it's so important we teach those things because they get it. Yeah. I mean, I, they shock me, some of my littles, when they say, like, when they say things like that, like, I am feeling overwhelmed. Like, mm-hmm. you're too how are you saying that to me right now? You oh, know? yeah. I think really connect to it. And again, for others, it can be more abstract. Yeah. And that's okay. And so again, as an SLP, we have to be adaptable and know that 
again, there's not a right or wrong way to emotions or yeah. to communication. So we just have to be open to that. Oh yeah. No, totally. I, it's funny. It just makes me think of, I had this, um, I don't know if I've ever told you, did I ever tell you about the student, the four-year-old that told me to calm down? No. <laughs> yeah. Oh my I, I was so proud of him because in that moment, um, because he could, this was a kid that couldn't regulate emotions. Like, mm-hmm. and one day he came in, we, you know, we walked into the speech room and he really wanted his toy, like his favorite toy. And he went right over to it, um, to where I kept it, you know, and it was, it was concealed and he couldn't reach it, but he was like pointing at it and telling me, you know, Miss M, Miss M, I want, I want train. Also, I want train. That were both stories. They're both me and you and them. <laughs> I know. I know. Earlier when you said Miss M, I was like, that's me. <laughs> yes, we are both Miss M. I love it though. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> one day when, uh, after COVID, if I go up to Denver, you come down to LA, we'll have to have like a fun little photo shoot about the oh two my gosh. Miss <laughs> uh, I know. I love it. When I found that, I was like, ah, oh, I am the Miss M, but there's room for another. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, but no, so he was like telling me he wanted his toy and you know, we had a routine that he knew he was very good with routine and he could come in, he would grab his speech folder. He would go sit down at our table and he knew it, but he just came in that day and didn't. And so I said, you know, um, Kate first pitch folder, you know, first folder, then train. Like let's like, it's one of those days. <laughs> We're just, yeah. <laughs> and he, he looked at me and was like being kind of naughty and like aware of his self being like, no, like I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do it. And so I probably made like, like a mom face. Like I'm not a mom, but I probably made that face. Like, you know, if you don't do it, like Miss M's going to be mad or something. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he smirked and he goes, Miss M, calm down. Okay. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. So, you know, in that moment, I was like, okay, I wanted to laugh first. Um, Because when you have a four-year-old, I think he was like, he may not even have been four yet, like three, almost four, but barely four. When you have a four-year-old, first of all, just tell you to calm down. You're like, what? Like, what's going on? But then to have, you know, one of my language kids, like, understand my emotion from my face, mm-hmm. maybe the tone of my voice, and then to tell me how to, like, what he wanted me to do, how to regulate it, you know? So, I mean, now I just wish I'd had some of your strategies to kind of talk about, like, okay, well, yes, I'm in the red zone right now. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you know what? I found myself, I say, my boyfriend and I will say that to each other now. He'll be like, babe, I uh, think you're getting to the red zone. I'm like, don't get me started. It's like, I will get myself back to the green zone, okay? <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah, it's the best part about this kind of stuff is bringing it home and being like, you know, um, same thing. I'll be like, I need 10 seconds because I'll, you know, we'll do like a 10 second breathing situation with my students or in our preschool program. And um, I'll be like, I'll take a walk around the house for 10 seconds. You know, if he's telling me, yep, you're, you're losing it. Like, mm-hmm. that's so funny. So good to bring yeah, um, right into the home for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Always, always. And my preschool songs, they're here too. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> um, and then um, last thing, and I, I'll just have you kind of go um, a little bit more into it. Um, 
but do you feel having better connections with clients or families through mindfulness practices helps you get, and you kind of talked about this, but the buy-in and then the help with carryover strategies when you're gone? Yes. Um, something I do too. I mean, parent coaching is like my favorite thing in the entire world. Yeah. Like I said it. And so again, I am a very, if we talk about a strategy, I try to follow up with like a resource. So if we do belly breathing, I usually will send my parents like the Sesame Street Elmo belly breathing video. So then they have that tool to keep implementing it. I think it's very dangerous to sometimes say things and not give it like a, like a doctor, you know, we're going to tell someone something, we're going to give them a prescription, but they need the medicine. They need that material as well to carry it out. And I think sometimes as SLPs, we're like, Oh, this, do this, do this, this, this. Cause we kind of just like think of it. And when parents have so much going on until we say, do this and here's how you do this or here's the tool. That's when I see the carryover. Like when parents and I each week I'll say, okay, like let's pick a toy. So I have a mom and last week we had a whole session discussing new toys to get her kiddo engaged. So today she went and showed me all the new toys she got her. She got her new rompecabezas, which are puzzles. She got her like a whole mat. And it was really cool to see that mom felt confident. And she was like, I had our list of your ideas. So I knew what to buy. You know, and it's just like, I just feel like I see the confidence build a lot more with my families. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think the carryover is just a lot greater. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, I mean, I love, I never love, I never want my families to spend more money, but when they do, I mean, my biggest platform as a struggling, you know, my family has always struggled with money. So I've always told parents when I'm telling you to invest in something, and making sure it's versatile, you know, it's going to last and that it's something that your kiddo, you know, it really also builds connection. Mm -hmm. I like to recommend things that connect families. I feel like nowadays families like don't have game night and like don't do things that we did as kids. So yeah. I also do things kind of like slyly. So like mom and dad have to be involved or I'm like, go get Candyland and everyone will play. Mm -hmm. So kind of facilitating those moments as well, but in an affordable way, I think is really important for my yeah. family's life. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, mom, all about that. As soon as we went on distance, like this distance learning platform in my district, I thought, well, I don't want my families to think they have to go out and buy, you know, like Kaufman cards and. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So. No, I think that's great. And I just love that you're kind of establishing this, this common ground for you and the families, um, which I, I'm sure could be hard, you know, when you've gotten this, like, uh, just this level of appreciation for each other. Um, you know, if ever the time comes where, you know, you, they get a new speech pathologist or they exit out of, you know, your speech program or something. Um, but I think it's fantastic. So keep doing good work. Yes. I love my families. <laughs> yeah. No. Much. I know. I feel I, mean, I, I was sister. I don't know if I even threw that in there. I'm a big sister. Of, oh of, yeah. Of siblings that went to speech. So we were a speech family, you know, mm. sister and brother were both in speech. So I saw very early on what it felt like. And unfortunately as the child of an alcoholic, I took on more of a father leadership role 
So I'd be talking to my mom about some IEP things and learning those struggles and seeing those behind the scene things. And I think that's not something that you can teach. I think, you know, it's just something that fortunately, but unfortunately allowed me to connect with my families a lot more. And I do, I don't share everything with my families, but a lot of times I'll say, you know, I've been through this and that, or I've my siblings. And I actually, I remember in Los Angeles, I was, I had a mom say to me, wow, you are just a breath of fresh air because you're just telling it how it is. Cause I was like, yeah, I shop at the dollar store. I can't afford anything. And she was like, thank you for like being real and just like showing me that like, you're not better or you're not this, you know, we're just two humans trying to do better for this kid out here. And so I've just found that that's been a connecting factor and that again, some people don't have, and that's okay. But when you do have some kind of hardship, I think sometimes that connection piece for me has grown a little bit deeper. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's, it's just good to remind families like you're, we're all humans that we've all been somewhere and, and I think it helps them because then they, they realize that their child to you is not just a number on your caseload. Like for me, I think, you know, the first time I see parents in IP meetings and I meet them, I can already sense like they're worried, not all the time, but sometimes I get parents where I'm like, they, they don't understand that I re- like that I'm in it. Like I care. I'm emotionally and I'm invested. Baking right here too, as I'm reading these IEP things, you know, like we, we are experts, but like you said, we are humans and we are just as scared as, as they are at times. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so once I become vulnerable with them or, you know, kind of let them know, you know, I'll even say like, oh yeah, my boyfriend does that. You know, he works there oh. or whatever, you know, just let them know, like we have a connection and that's great. Um, oh, yes. my aunt, that boyfriend farts because the kid was farting. I'm like, why did I say that? But I know. <laughs> we up. She's like, oh, this smells so bad. I'm like, girl, you don't know what I put up with with this guy. Oh, yeah. And I was like, we just are real. Cause, yeah. And a lot of some of these moms are closer to my age as well. And so it's kind of nice. We just, we formed a friendship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No. I was like, yeah, what? Worry, don't worry. What? I'm an overshare sometimes like you maybe. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes like I'll walk out of meetings and cause like, I mean, you're, you're with one parent. I'm like in a meeting with my principal and the teacher and psychologist. And then I walk out of it and I'm like, did I just share that? <laughs> right. <laughs> but I always just blame it on the fact that I'm a preschool speech therapist and that's, you know, yeah. we are, uh, that's what we deal with all day. And so why not be relatable with it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I totally agree. Yeah. Well, I know you have a client to get to. Um, I'm looking at the time like, oh, shoot. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. We ran out the clock, but we will do a live tomorrow. Not that this podcast will be out for that live, but we'll do other lives. So I'm sure by then uh, people will be like, yeah, I'm going to come watch your live. Um, But I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story and just coming on the podcast. I can't wait to have you back. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. This has been awesome. I feel like it's really nice to share my message with someone that's able to receive it. That's a, I mean, that's a compliment to you if that's coming across the right way. Yeah, no, thank you. In life, we're presented with things and we're not ready to receive it at that time. So we hear it, but we don't kind of take it in. And mm-hmm. I think that you and the community that we've developed on Instagram is like just in this place of wanting to receive it and wanting to grow. And I think that's super powerful. 
Yeah. And just support love- each other. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. No, I'll take me chills. <laughs> well, I hope you have a great rest of your day and uh, a great session. <laughs> so. This is my one that pulled that, my boyfriend part. So. Oh, good. We'll that will be great. <laughs> All right. We'll talk uh, to you later. All right. Thanks so much, Marie. I'll Thank see you. Bye. Bye. All right, friends. Well, that's the end of this conversation with the two Miss M's, but I promise there are plenty more in store. And I don't know about you, but I am feeling so inspired and just re-energized after that conversation with Rachel. Rachel, I am so grateful you came on the podcast. I'm so grateful you opened up and told your story and just inspired us all. You add so much value to our community of speech-language pathologists and just as a human, you are awesome. Uh, friends, you can find Rachel over at Speech with Rach on Instagram. She's a fantastic Instagram filled with plenty of resources for you guys, and they are beautiful too. She and I also like to collaborate a lot on Instagram together. So we'll hold live events where you can come on and come into a Q&A and ask us any burning questions you have for us, whether they pertain to speech language pathology, mindfulness, um, or, you know, we'll see what you come up with. Uh, we also like to talk a lot about life and maybe have a little happy hour together via Instagram. So we encourage you to find us there and be a part of our speech and language pathologist community because it is awesome. Also, you can find me over at thanksmorris.com where there is a page now solely dedicated to this podcast and you can submit requests for topics, questions you have for me that you'd like answered on here. Or if you want to come on the podcast or nominate somebody else to be on it, you can submit that there and connect with me via email. Also, remember to subscribe to this podcast so you know when new episodes come out and go ahead and rate it and leave a review. And you can, you know, let me know if you have any questions in that review, too. I am so grateful for your support and I look forward to talking with you all more. I hope you have a magical day or night wherever you are. And I will talk to you soon. Bye bye, friends.